It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. Six thirty, Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Reed Wilkins with you inside sports on uh, Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chet, I just want to quickly update the story that uh, we've been following a little bit tonight. And uh, Ed Nicky, the running back for the U of A Golden Bears, who won the Heck Crichton last season in the fall of 2017, is the best youth sports football player in the country. Uh, then won Canada West Male Athlete of the Year. Then was... Um, then was uh, up for a U Sports Male Athlete of the Year. And uh, the U of A received an email last week indicating that his inability to attend the award ceremony last night would compromise his chances of winning the award. Uh, of course, Ed is with the Ottawa Red Blacks in their training camp. I, I reached out to a, a U Sports uh, communications person about this and was told that the, these awards celebrate U-sports athletes, but it, it is not a U-sports event. Uh, the event, including eligibility, is ruled by BLG under the leadership of somebody else, and uh, they're told to, uh, I was told to contact somebody else. So U-sports uh, deflecting from this, uh, even though it's my understanding, it was U-sports that told the U of A that Ed's chances of winning were compromised by him not being at the event. So we'll uh, continue to follow this uh, as we move along. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 6.30, Ched. We have uh, Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final coming up on Friday between Vegas and Washington. Of course, uh, you know, the tragic uh, story from April, the Humboldt bus crash, 16 players and staff, unfortunately, killed in that event. It's been a tough time. Obviously, uh, Humboldt, Saskatchewan, all across the country, anybody involved with, you don't have to be involved with sports. This has been a tough story, but the Saskatchewan Rough Riders doing their part to uh, reach out to that community and try to lift some spirits. Craig Reynolds is the president and CEO of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Craig, great to have you on the show. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, Reed. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, thanks for coming on tonight. And, and obviously, uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders took training camp on the road on Sunday, and uh, you had a practice at Glen Hall Park Field in Humboldt. Uh, Craig, maybe hard to sum up, but can you put into words what that day was like? Yeah, you know what? You, you, you said it, Reed. It, it is hard to put it in words. I, I, it was... Um 
overwhelming and, and extremely hum- humbling. It was it was an important day for us, um, an important day for our organization. We um, obviously were deeply impacted, as were, were was the entire country, but certainly here in Saskatchewan, uh, we we felt uh, the tragedy of April sixth uh, very very hard, and and so we reached out quickly to the Bronco organization around um, just a commitment that we'd be there to help them in whatever way possible. And I think just working with them um, since that time, we we really realized that we could help in the healing process for that community. And so um, Chris Jones and I had a conversation around um, uh, bringing the team out there for practice. And so to go out there on Sunday was was really special. It was important for our guys. Uh, We're going to show our support all year to to the Broncos and to the community of Humboldt. And so it was really important for the guys to to get out there and, 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 and sort of help that community heal. You know, just just being there, uh, being there with with the fan. And look, Craig, the, the the Rough Riders are Saskatchewan's team, and and I know you guys have taken training camp to other communities as as well. And mingling with the the community is a big part of you know the the, the CFL in general. Anything really touched you yesterday? A conversation or a moment you're willing to share? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a, a couple. It, it was it was a really emotional. Day day read. So, you know, um, we were we hosted the entire community for for a barbecue and and gave out three thousand uh, hamburgers as part of that process and and it was really sort of touching um, um, and and emotional. Uh, one lady, as I was handing her her, her hamburgers, she sort of broke down and 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 sort of just thanked us for being there because her her son Brody was a statistician who had uh, passed away on the on the bus and she she told me that and his sister was there and they were quite emotional so that was really emotional and powerful and as well talked to another uh, lady who just again thanked us for being there and she sort of said that it was um, the first time she sort of felt that it was okay and the community felt okay to kind of smile and and look forward and and be happy and she felt that that sort of the the, the football team being there uh, really really helped in that process so so those are really touching moments for 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 me and 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 for us um, and it really sort of hit home just the impact that that sports can have and our team can have. Craig, can you further tell us because I understand you got a home game coming up here that's going to be dedicated to Humboldt as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so June thirtieth, uh, we're hosting a, a Humboldt Strong themed game, and and again, that was another thing that we reached out with the Bronco organization. They've been fantastic. Uh, they participated actually in a planning session for that because we really wanted it to be impactful for them. And and again, what was going to help them? Uh, move forward. What was going to help them and the community heal? So, so, and and that's really the 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 theme of 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 the of the game is really sort of Rider Nation and and Saskatchewan sort of showing their support for Humboldt. So, so we've invited um, uh, all the all the victims and, and families. Um, so the 29 people on the on the bus, all their all their families, and those that that can attend. Um, and we've got uh, you know great um, commitment from from the families um, to to be there. Um, first responders as well were really important to recognize because obviously it was, a, it, was a, it was a tragedy that that's um, you know had a major impact on those who were first on the scene so again we invited them and, and billet families and, and humble community leaders so we invited over 250 people to, to the game um, and again it's just a way for for us to sort of as a province to sort of come together and and support support that uh, that community as they heal 
Well, you know, good for you guys for doing this, uh, Craig. I mean, it's 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 one of those situations where I mean, I remember talking about when it happened, and and you almost don't know what to say or or what to do. But sometimes just just doing doing something and trying to reach out and and be there. So it'd be good. I mean, I I I play up the rivalry with the Eskimos and Rough Riders all the time, and it, and, it, and it's fun to do. But good for you guys for for doing that uh, and a really classy move. Craig Reynolds joining us on Inside Sports. He's the president and CEO of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I I, I got to shift attention a little bit to uh to the to the season coming up craig uh, randy ambrosi was on my show he came in studio with the gray cup last thursday which was pretty cool the eskimos obviously are selling tickets for the game randy talked a lot about and he gets a lot of questions about the timing of the season the length of the season starting it earlier than then ending it earlier with a little bit uh, uh maybe an early november first or second week gray cup I, i'm wondering craig i mean you're you're involved in these types of discussions are, are you open to that where do you come down on some of this yeah, I would I would say I'm wildly supportive of that. It's funny, Len uh, Len Rhodes and I sort of joke at these meetings. We're not sure who's more supportive of this, Len or, or me. So so, um, but we're certainly one two around this, and I think uh, our our Prairie counterparts in Winnipeg and Calgary also feel the same. And yeah, you know, I, I've been supportive of that concept um, really since since, um, and it was Len actually who who sort of brought it up um, in a more serious sort of manner. And and you know, f- for us, um, it just makes complete sense. And and the preseason game in Edmonton was a prime example of that um i know it was it was sort of late late may but it was um it was a lot nicer in late late may than it tends to be in uh late november and you know we've been challenged with um with attendance uh, in across across the board but certainly we feel it in the prairies when the weather shifts and i know last year we had uh, eight straight sellouts and i think a lot of that had to do with the excitement of our new stadium and, and we had a team that was that was certainly in the hunt and then uh, the last two games um we didn't sell those games out and and i look at the, um, I look at our opponents and I look at how we were playing and really there's there's only one reason why we didn't sell those those games out given the momentum of, of last season, the inaugural season at Mosaic Stadium and that's, that's the weather and and we see it again this, this year in, in terms of sales. Uh, when we look at single game sales, uh, the, the two worst games right now are the last two games and I think it's because um, you know fans sort of um, have shifted in terms of um, it's no longer a badge of honor to sit outside when it's when it's minus minus five. Uh, certainly, when you've got uh, big screen TVs and and the comforts of home, so it becomes a bit of a challenge. So I think uh, we need to shift with the, with the times as a league as well. I, I know Randy Ambrosi is he seems pretty optimistic that Halifax is going to come on board, which could create two five team divisions. We'll see if that happens, Craig. I have to ask you another question about the playoff format. If there were no divisions and teams were ranked one through nine last year your team the saskatchewan rough riders would have got a home playoff game you would have hosted a league quarterfinal you had the fourth best record in the league but you're in the west division you got to cross over and play two eastern road games one of which you won and then uh, you know ricky ray was able to bite you late in the east final maybe if that game's at home it's, it's a different story are, are you are are you open to 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 no divisions, or do you think the East West needs to be maintained? No, you know I understand both both sides of those arguments absolutely, Reed. And yeah, you know when you sort of uh, lay it out that way last year, uh, it would have worked out that way. But um, there have been years in the past, and and there will be years in the future where it, where it goes the other way. Um, so I think the East East West. Um, um, Conferences are, are, are divisions are are, are an important piece um, for the league, and I, I think a lot of it is about um, maintaining sort of the, the the interest as we as we move down um, through the through the course of the season, um, and you know obviously 
if we, in one division, um, you could quickly see scenarios where certain teams are, are, are out of playoff position um, quite dramatically, quite quickly. And I think um, in, a, in a small league like ours, I think um, that, that sort of having having people jockeying for playoff position uh, to the end of, of the season is important. And then I think a crossover rule is, is also important. Um, obviously, when you get to a 10-team team league, we'll have to re- revisit those things, and those types of conversations will come up at that time. But I do think the East-West um, tradition is, is, is an important piece. You know, Craig, you guys uh, went out there and built a new stadium. When are you getting the Grey Cup? Shouldn't Saskatchewan have a couple of Grey Cups a decade, given how everybody supports the team? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, yeah. So we, uh, yeah, we've got an exciting uh, uh, opportunity here here with this new stadium. We're very, very proud of our new stadium. But um, you know, the reality is, uh, you don't want to host the Grey Cup too close to, to opening a stadium and, and getting comfortable in the stadium. And and you know, here to host a Grey Cup would require temporary stands and those types of things. So, so you know, it it, it wasn't on the radar. Um, you know. Um, uh, this quickly, but um, certainly we're starting to shift our attention towards when would be the right time to to put a bid forward for the Great Cup because obviously we'd love to showcase uh, Mosaic Stadium to the rest of the country. All right, well, Craig, thanks for coming on the show. It's it's good to catch up with you. Good for you and the Rough Riders to to head out uh, to Humboldt, and uh, we look forward to some great games between the Riders and Eskimos this year. They're always fun, regardless of the way they played. Thanks a lot for checking in. Absolutely, Reed. I really appreciate the opportunity. That is Craig Reynolds on Inside Sports, president and CEO of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And, of uh, course, you can get more on uh, 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca, about Rider Nation and Humboldt Strong uniting in Humboldt on Sunday. Pretty cool story. This is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Ched. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on with the potential return of pro soccer in Edmonton when we get back. <laughs> This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Tonight it is 7:22. Blue Jays trailing the Yankees 4-2 in the top of the eighth. Uh, we got what the NBA Finals resuming tomorrow. The Stanley Cup Final resuming on Thursday. Eskimos' first regular season game next Thursday at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The home opener is against Hamilton on Friday, June 22nd. Also, that's the night of Round One of the NHL Draft. So we'll have a broadcast from Dallas for the NHL Draft, and then take you into the Eskimos game as they take on Johnny Manziel if he plays, and uh, and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. That'll be be, uh, be pretty cool. All right, I really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Uh, I know that um, there was an announcement today by the Canadian Premier League on Twitter. They uh, put out a little video welcoming Edmonton to the league. They're, this is the league that's hoping to start up next year, be a coast-to-coast league for pro soccer in Canada, and uh, they have welcomed Edmonton to the league. Now, nobody available for comment tonight, but there is going to be an unveiling a street at a street party in Old Strathcona on Friday at 7 in front of the Old Strathcona Farmer's Market where uh, I think we can obviously infer that there is going to be 
a formal announcement about uh, Edmonton's involvement in the Canadian Premier League. I know there's still a lot of questions about the the stadium. Uh, FC Edmonton wants Clark to be expanded so that they can get some more seats in there and they and they want the some of the facilities redone. Uh, that has not been resolved yet, but looks like the Canadian Premier League is is giving Edmonton some sort of a commitment. So that's a story that uh, we'll keep following. Would love, would love to talk more about it tonight, but again, no one is commenting on that. So uh, we'll leave it until Friday when they have this street party in Old Strathcona in front of the farmer's market. Uh, Kellen, you'll have to forgive me. Okay. I, I, I am somewhat perplexed. I've, uh, you know, been sent a copy of an email that last week was sent to the U of A Sports Department. So, Ed Nicky, U of A running back, up for Male Athlete of the Year for U Sports. Now, BLG, they're called the BLG, BLG Awards. So, BLG is the, the sponsor of the awards. Uh, and the U of A was told... I'll read from the email. We are assuming that he can't join the other nominees in Vancouver this weekend, nor attend the event, which seriously compromised his chance to win the award. So the U of A is told, you know, Ed can't be there, so that's hurting his chances of winning. So somewhere along the line, you know, they're saying, we don't, we don't want to give the award to a guy that... that isn't going to be there. Not necessarily he would have won or, or had won, but they're saying we'd, we'd sooner not have the winner not be there. So that's hurting his chances of the award. Uh, so I sent uh, a U-Sports uh, high-ranking communications person an email saying, that, you know, this is going on. Um, I'll read you the questions I put in the email. Were voters discouraged from voting for Elnicki? Why would his inability to attend the awards harm his chances of winning? And the reply I got, the BLG Awards celebrate U-sports athletes but isn't a U-sports event. The event, including eligibility and voting process, is ruled by BLG under the leadership of Doug Mitchell, who created these awards 26 years ago. And then I was given a contact person with uh, BLG to contact. So that's where we're at. Even though the the odd thing is the the person I contacted with U-sports was the person who wrote the email to the U of A telling them that you know, Nikki's comp- uh, eligibility was compromised. Now, he could have been doing that on behalf of what he was told by BLG, but it's a bit of a runaround and a bit of a deflection and, and a bit of an odd story. So, we'll, we'll see what happens. I just feel bad for Ed. He had, well, and look, you know, maybe, and maybe he wouldn't have won. I, he would have had a, certainly a chance to win. But why, why is the policy he can't be there so maybe we shouldn't get the vote for him? Right. I mean, the U of A was flat out told this compromises his chance of, of, of winning the awards, which doesn't seem doesn't seem to be the way you would do it. We'll see what what happens here. Uh, what's going on with Grey Cup tickets? We'll get an update after the seven thirty news. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.
Final half hour of Inside Sports. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Charles Adler tonight coming up at 8. Justin Trudeau sat down with Global News for an exclusive interview today, tackling his big pipeline purchase and Canada's tariff battle with the U.S. Charles Adler tonight will have that full interview for you, 8 o'clock Mountain Time right here on 6.30 Chet. That's in about half an hour. The Grey Cup. It's in Edmonton. Sunday, November 25th. They're selling tickets. A lot of tickets. Dwayne Vino is the executive director of the 2018 Grey Cup Festival. Dwayne, how's it going? Great, Reed. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for checking in tonight. I know as of about 2 this afternoon, uh, you were up over 51,000 tickets, uh, f- about 4,800 left. How are we doing now? You know, Reed, I'm not sure. I've, um, I haven't been able to check in lately, but at 2 o'clock, just before 2 o'clock, we hit that 51,000 number. And um, I've actually been out of the office, so I honestly don't know where we're at, but I'm sure we sold a few hundred since then. Well, that's okay. I know you. I, I probably got you at a baseball practice or something. you got to have a life uh, outside of selling tickets all day. You actually, you actually got me at a track meet for my kids. She's oh, the finals right now. So you're, you're, you're pretty close. Well, that's, that's awesome. But what do you say about the response since the tickets uh, went on sale? Too? Would, you, uh, would you say that they're tracking kind of uh, how you expect it, or how would you characterize it? You know, Reed, it's, it's sort of eerie scary how close it is to, to 2010 it's it's uh we were almost at the exact same mark where we were when we sort of set that record at six days so it's uh it's been incredible there's been a great um it's all started with the season seat holders from the eskimos and and they, um they bought their tickets and they got their additional and then corporate partners and then we went to the other cfo uh, cities across the sorry, season stakeholders from across the country, and just has been huge success. That we go on sale on Friday, and we were selling crazy, crazy amounts of tickets. And now it's just been a constant um, flow coming in ever since we went on sale last week. And at, after four days, you know, we only got about forty five hundred tickets, forty eight hundred tickets left, and we're, we can we could break our record or at least sort of come close to where we were in twenty ten. Which was uh, obviously the the, the six day sellout, uh, and obviously the the cool thing about this is I assume you see tickets ticket purchases coming in from uh, across the country because people are going to want to come from everywhere and, and and plan some travel to Edmonton in late November. Exactly, you know, it, uh, there's approximately thirty thousand people that travel to Grey Cups every year from across the country, and and that's a big part of the economic impact that it brings to a city and. You know, it's estimated that we'll have between 80 to $100 million in economic impact. So all those visitors coming for this national celebration is just uh, tremendous. And we're just happy and, and thrilled that we're in a situation where we sold over 50,000 tickets already. You know, a lot of markets haven't, don't do it until after Labor Day. And, and so we're just really happy about that. We're so excited about the support we've been getting from not only Edmontonians, but Albertans and the rest of the country, and they're supporting this Grey Cup. All right, so if people are still looking at, at getting tickets, uh, they can't wait too much longer. How can they get them, Dwayne? Yeah, so Ticketmaster.ca is, is the best uh, read, and um, uh, go online and, and get them as quickly. You know, we don't know how long they're going to last, but um, so if you're thinking about getting tickets, I strongly urge you to 
uh, you know, go there quick and uh, maybe help us get that sellout quickly. All right, and uh, fans right here in Edmonton, if they want to, too, if they're out driving around near Commonwealth, they can go to the Eskimos team store. Well, this is exciting, Dwayne. I hope we're doing this again very soon when it actually hits a, hits a sellout because this is fun to track this for sure, and you guys are doing such a great job. And, of course, they can get more on the week as a whole by uh, by going to the Grey Cup Festival site as well, greatcupfestival.ca. Dwayne, we'll do this again soon, buddy. Enjoy the track meet, okay? <laughs> Thanks, Reed. Talk to you. Dwayne Vinod checking in. He's the executive director of the uh, 2018 Grey Cup Festival. Tickets over 51,000, fewer than 4,800 remaining. Those numbers from about uh, five hours or so ago. So obviously those totals will be, uh, the, the total remaining will be chipped down by now. Going to be fun. Great Cup in Edmonton, November 25th. Eskimos should have a pretty good squad. They got a shot to get there for sure. Stanley Cup final will resume on, on Thursday when the Capitals will try to win the series against the Golden Knights. It, it's it's funny, Kellen, and, and I've talked about this before. You know, uh, people talk about the the heavy hockey and, and the skilled hockey and size and did the Oilers go too far? Did they add too many players? Did they sacrifice too much skill? Fair enough when you talk about roster competition, but you can't categorize a team as a size team or a skilled team. The, the good teams have both, and then they excel in both at the right time of year. And the Capitals are a team which just haven't been able to play heavy enough, gritty enough when the chips were down in the playoffs. And now, as I said earlier, they, they've made that decision. You know, for two months, we're going to get banged up. We're going to get bruised. We're going to block shots. We're going to take a hit. We're going to deliver a hit. We're going to play a little nastier. We're going to have that attitude. And now they're one win away from the Stanley Cup. So I, I, I reject this notion of, well, now the trend is going to be, now the trend's going to be heavy hockey because how the Capitals are playing. Well, let's not forget about all the skill the Capitals have. And let's not forget that some of the skilled team, I mean, if you want to call some of the Detroit teams of the past, the Chicago championship teams a little more skilled, fine. But don't forget the grit and tenacity that they could play with. So I, I reject the categorization that uh, a team is either one or the other. I'm going to take a quick timeout. Paul Sir coming up to talk a little hoops. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. for tuning in tonight inside sports on Oilers and Eskimos radio 630 Chad my name is Reed Wilkins it is 743 championship time of year the Stanley Cup could be presented on Thursday the uh, Larry O'Brien trophy and yes I actually knew the name of the trophy uh, for the uh, NBA champion could be presented well uh, not tomorrow but uh, maybe Friday maybe Monday Golden State looking very good against Cleveland as we bring on Paul Sir from Basketball Alberta he's the executive director Paul how are you doing buddy Doing great, Reed. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks a lot for making time for me uh, tonight. I, I think you predicted it at the beginning of the season that it was going to be Volume 4, Cleveland and Golden State. So congratulations, Paul. <laughs> well, thank you. I will put myself in the same uh, at the same level as the other 175 million people who predicted <laughs> the same thing. So <laughs> it, seemed, it seemed fairly predictable. There, there, was a, there were certainly some drama along the way with both 
Cleveland and Golden State having to come back from 3-2 deficits in the conference finals, but it ended up where we all thought it would. Now, having said that, uh, Golden State has been in control of this. Well, I shouldn't say that because the first game did go to overtime, which I want to get to in a couple of minutes. Uh, but but they were able to pretty much control the second game, and a lot has been made about the LeBron's supporting cast or lack of it. Uh, I, know, I know Cleveland came back a couple of years ago from 3-1 down to win in seven. Is, is that sort of comeback feasible this year? I don't think they could come back with this team from 3-1, Reed. Uh, game three is all important, of course, for many reasons for Cleveland, but I just think it's the, it's the only chance they have to actually form some sort of belief that they are a contender. They had all the chances in the world in game one, found a way to lose, and now game three, it all hinges on that back at home, and of course, it's all on LeBron James' shoulders. All right, so game one, and I know this was a few days ago, but we, I haven't had a show since. So the game's tied. Cleveland misses a free, uh, free throw. And, and J.R. Smith rebounds and has the opportunity for a six-foot putback shot to win the game, and he dribbles out to center, a last-minute pass, doesn't matter. Clock like As a coach, Paul. Like, are you watching that screaming at the TV? Or I mean, I, I know as a player, you probably made blunders. You've had players make blunders. That was a pretty big one. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because if you look at the replay, Kevin Durant uh, was on the same side of the free throw line as uh, J.R. Smith, who we all know is the player, the culprit who right. dribbled out. <laughs> Kevin Durant made no effort to screen J.R. Smith out he was standing upright bent over at the waist and got bumped off the block and was pushed under the basket it wasn't so much that J.R. Smith rebounded the ball as it bounced off the rim and fell right into his hands and you're right he could have gone literally straight up but at that moment he seemed so oblivious or so unprepared unfocused however you want to describe it of what to do because he certainly didn't expect to get the rebound and then had no presence of mind that what the correct thing was to do. So what do you do? You dribble it out to half court. <laughs> it really was amazing. It certainly rivals Chris Webber's famous timeout when Michigan didn't have a timeout in the NCAA championship game. That was, uh, I want to say that was 90 90- one or was that 92 it was one I think of those it was 93 or it was about okay it was 93 story yeah early, early 90s when michigan had the had the fa- and i mean and that's tough for smith cuz you have to, i know these guys are are mentally tough but you you have to think there's that what if kicking him in the back of the head since then and probably going to nag him throughout the rest of the series and the summer and who knows for how long well you you think so but this is also the guy that untied the shoelaces of an opponent hugged Jason Terry during a game and threw soup at his coach this year. So we're, we're not we're not talking about a guy who has a sterling record that you would never you would never expect the unexpected from. So it just struck me just watching when he caught the ball that it was just sheer uh, sheer blackout, and he panicked and did whatever he did. And and what's what's interesting though is the way his team rallied around him. 
I think the guy that was affected even more than J.R. Smith is George Hill, who had the free throw, who missed the free throw that that uh, Smith rebounded, and from all the, uh, you know, we had the the color man from the the Cavaliers. I was talking with him last week, and he he was talking about how Hill didn't sleep the whole night afterwards. He's really beating himself up. So. Lots of blame to go around, and perhaps in Golden State's case, maybe some credit to go around, too. Paul Sir from Basketball Alberta joining us on Inside Sports. We last talked, Paul, on air right after the Cavaliers swept the Raptors, but it was before the Raptors fired Dwayne Casey. I remember you brought up that that perhaps was a coaching issue, how in, uh, I think it was Game 3, they let LeBron dribble the length of the floor and hit that runner uh, at the buzzer was it was that game three or game two but he hit that that was game three was game three he hit that runner at the buzzer and he kind of you know the Raptors kind of directed him but didn't really check him and you said that was a coaching error I mean you hate to say that a coach who was an excellent coach got fired because of one mistake in a key moment uh, but when Casey was let go was that is that where your mind went right away to that one play yeah, I, I think so. I, I I really felt that, that that was a distinct possibility that with the Raptors knowing that they have a they have a good team, they can win 59 games, but it's like deja vu all over again when they get to the playoffs, particularly with Cleveland, but just their overall playoff performance is so weak and they don't they haven't had the ability with talented teams to rise to the occasion and to go out for nothing in really what you would have to call go out with a whimper the way they did. You, you knew big changes were coming, and I think the decision was made that Dwayne Casey just does not have the ability to galvanize this team where it matters the most, and that's in the playoffs, because there's nothing, I think, more frustrating than being the best team in your particular division and then going out like that in the playoffs with all those expectations. So... Absolutely. I think they felt they've gone as far as they, they could with Casey, and they need to make a change at the top. And it's interesting now, weeks later, that they still haven't made a move. Messiah Jury is a very thoughtful, measured GM, and obviously he's taking his time to find the right person. All right. Well, it's going to be fun watching the rest of these finals and seeing what the Raptors do for sure. They they, they looked like they'd become a very resilient team, and, and then it kind of went away in the playoffs against Cleveland. Hey, Paul, before I let you go, the Alberta Sports Hall of Fame uh, had the induction ceremony on Friday. Three basketball uh, players slash coaches are you know you know getting getting inducted one of whom uh, I got to know very well the late Phil Allen he coached at Lakeland College of Lloyd Minster and, and many other places too I was wondering if you can just kind of give us uh, uh, you know we're, we're not going to do the do it justice time wise but if you can give us a little bit on the three people who got inducted uh, I, I'd be thrilled to I was at the induct the ceremony my wife and I were there uh, watching the three basketball people go into the Alberta Sports Hall of Fame. It's great to see that many basketball personalities be recognized. Uh, Bob Davies, an Edmontonian, was brought in as a pioneer, and Bob really is responsible for a lot of the the basketball leagues that exist today. He went to the same high school that the Edmonton grads went to. He was a few years later, but Bob had a passion for the game. Played, he didn't play that long, but got leagues started 
team, coached a lot of teams, was an official for decades. So it was great to see Bob go in. Uh, Leanne Dunham Reimer went in, probably the best player in the University of Calgary history. Uh, played on the national team, played professionally overseas. And then, of course, Phil Allen going in. How deserved was that? The winningest coach in post-secondary history in Canada. Uh, we were so thrilled for his uh, wife, Denise, and his sons, uh, Joel and Corey. Just too bad Phil couldn't have been there because I think we'd still be there listening to his stories if he, would, if he were still with us. And uh, very, very special evening. Yeah, I miss Phil a lot. He he was a pleasure to cover his teams when I worked in Lloyd, and I stayed in touch with him a, a bit, obviously, in recent years. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2016, and I, I would have loved to hear his take on the, the J.R. Smith play. Because oh, I, I that know would have been, been fun, wouldn't it? It would have been a very animated 10 minutes or maybe 10 hours, but, uh, yeah, a very <laughs> passionate man. Phil, uh, thanks for checking – or, sorry, Paul, thanks for checking in tonight and talking about Phil, Bob, and Leanne and the uh, the NBA Finals. We'll do this again, buddy. Hope you're having a great summer. You as well. Thanks so much, Reed. Take care. Paul Sir is the Executive Director of Basketball Alberta. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. Nate Bahar, receiver for the Edmonton Eskimos, was uh, talking some basketball. He's averaging, what, 40, 11, and 9, and they're, they're down 0-2. That's, that poor man is, uh, is carrying carrying a yacht behind him, and it's not not a nice one. It's breaking down. So uh, it, it shows you it doesn't matter you know how, what kind of a superstar you are. You still need a team to win. Absolutely, you do. And, yeah, that, that first game, I didn't even watch the second game. The first one was all I needed to see, and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, hey. <laughs> obviously talking about LeBron James saying he's pulling a yacht behind him and it's not a very nice one. Eskimos head coach Jason Moss on the last two days of practice and evaluating talent. Players understand this. They're evaluated every single day. I mean, they're moved up, they're moved down based on their performance every single day. So, and, and I don't think, I think the players are the first ones to realize who's playing better than who. And they know that we can only keep a select number of guys. There's barely a backup for every position. I mean, so guys got to understand that if you have an off day, and someone plays lights out, they probably are going to move ahead of you. And it just so have you know, it's just the reality of pro football. It's the reality of small rosters that you've got to be able to step up and play at a high level every single day. We've already had two games, so that's already in the books. That they can never get those days back, but they still can make an impression these next two days with full pads on, scrimmage-style practice the very last day where we're going to test them mentally and physically, see how long they can go, see what they can um, – at, um, remember when they're on the field uh, playing, no, nothing scripted. It's all going to be just like a game and see who's really learned from the two experiences of playing and then how much they've learned or come from Vegas to all of training camp. It'll all culminate one day and some jobs might be won that very last day. So that's the mindset a player has to have right now is to stay mentally tough for the next two days and get a lot out of it. Sounds like you're kind of set up to this is it, last chance. Yeah, and, and that's what it is. And I've told the guys from the beginning, they all know it. And we said we, we, have a, we had a really big roster to start camp, but only 46 were going to make it and 10 were going to be put on the practice roster. Injuries happen, so you, know, you keep guys around for that as well. But... At the end of the day, they all know this professional football. There's a small roster. You got There's guys we have to move on from. And again, it's not sometimes because they can't play. It's just because we choose uh, to play somebody else. Um, so, but they can only con- control how well they play on the field, how well they learn, uh, how much effort they're given, and then at the end of the day, you have to make plays and you have to give the confidence, uh, give coaches confidence and your players confidence that we can win with you. Meaning. 
you're disciplined, you're accountable, you know, you're smart, you know all the things, you're tough, you're able to be out here every day. We are able to count on you. Um, so when they show all those attributes and they physically can do it, generally they make the team. And, um, you know, again, it's a small roster, so we have to make hard decisions. Yeah, Eskimos still going to make the majority of their cuts. Well, they really haven't made very many at all. Uh, international wide receiver Torrance Gibson retired today. He was injured in the game against Winnipeg on Friday. All right, another show tomorrow. Hope you can tune in then. Some guests on Inside Sports gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down South Comfort Food to Edmonton with Southern Classics and other tasty treats. Salivate over the menu at northchickenyeg.com. Also tomorrow, we'll give away rugby tickets to the game on Saturday, Canada and Scotland. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.